30 years ago, Roger Corman began to explore the dark side of the American psyche with movies like The Undead, The Pit and the Pendulum, and the original Little Shop of Horrors. Now, he feels the world is ready for the greatest horror story ever told, as it's never been told before. John Hurt, Raul Julia, and Bridget Fonda, directed by Roger Corman. Radio Drome. Welcome to another Thursday night. It is I, Josh Hadley. It is Radio Drome that you're listening to. It is Cecil T. It is. It is. And then Peter won't be here this week, but filling in for him is B-team, basically, Fred Fritz. And double caffeinated for your pleasure. Damn straight. You know what else could be for your pleasure? AdamandEve.com. Go to AdamandEve.com. Use the promo code DROME, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, free U.S. shipping, and nope, not a clit bumper anymore. Now, I don't even know what this is, but you get a free Power-O vibrating ring. I'm assuming the O is orgasm? I don't know. You guys need to tell us, what is the free Power-O vibrating ring? AdamandEve.com, promo code DROME. I don't know if I want our fans to tell us that. You guys don't know? (laughs) I wanted to talk about, when it comes to movies, how much is enough? When have you made a book, a character, a franchise, or something, when is it enough? Because we just recently had that new Tarzan movie that bombed, that nobody asked for. There's another Tarzan movie in the works. A couple of years ago, there was a Tarzan TV series for the CW that nobody wanted. You just had two Jungle Book movies come out. Or you had one come out and another one that's due out. And keep in mind, this with this new one, this will be the 10th adaptation of that book. You've got a new Dracula movie being made, even after the last one bombed a few years ago. You have a new Robin Hood movie coming out. When is enough enough? Why do they keep redoing all of these characters that no one cares about. How many times do you have to adapt or make a movie about the same character before it's enough? I don't know. I mean, because there are certain characters like Dracula where you can keep doing uh, variations of Dracula and vampire movies and whatnot and make it fresh and original and unique and different because there are a lot of Dracula movies and they kind of vary wildly. 
and a lot of times there's a lot of them that I genuinely enjoy. But then you have something like Tarzan that really feels like something that's more kind of planted in time. We have had some unique spins on on Tarzan, like I thought that uh, Greystoke was, uh, you know, wasn't a Tarzan movie, but it was a Tarzan movie. And I thought that that was really good. But for the most part, anymore, why are you going to keep making Tarzan movies, especially like really big, expensive, huge budgeted Tarzan movies. In today's day and age, it just doesn't seem like anyone cares. And if the box office returns are any indication, they don't. Speaking of Tarzan, though, what about when you take that Tarzan character and, like you said, try to do something different with them, and then you just ask yourself, you changed everything, so why is it Tarzan? Remember in the, I think it was the early 90s, might have been late 80s, where they decided... Now Tarzan's going to be in New York. He's in a different kind of jungle. And remember, he becomes a private detective at one point, and you're like, oh, my God, just just stop, please. You're embarrassing all of us. Is it even Tarzan anymore? Uh that point, no. Because now it just has the name Tarzan, but it's something else entirely. At least the um the Bo Derek Tarzan, uh, the ape man, it was terrible, but at least, like, it was a Tarzan movie. Not really. He was sort of secondary character in his own film because that was all john derrick saying look at my wife's boobs well look okay young me wasn't complaining well it's it's obviously a more difficult question we've talked about this before you know when we talked about adapting pulps and things like that it's a little trickier because if you go back in time there were three remakes of maltese falcon before we got well two remakes i'm sorry i said that wrong there were two remakes of maltese falcon before we got the classic john houston version uh there was Maltese falcon then satan metal lady and then of course the john houston one ben-hur was remade and the color version of that is the, the i'm talking about the charlton heston of course version is my one of my favorite movies of all time it, this is uh, ten commandments even by the way was a silent film you know and they remade it this has been done over and over and over again to the point where i think people would be shocked to learn just how many movies they've seen. True, True Lies is a remake, which I didn't know for the longest time. There's both the positives and the negatives. We've talked about this a million times. Uh, people talk about this on endlessly on their shows. It's a really hard thing, but what we're addressing here to me feels like just what you're saying. They, they keep going back to the well, but they're not really bringing much new to it. When Carpenter, of course, did the thing, he did it the way nobody did it. He said, hey, I'll adapt the actual book. It was really good for that reason. We see positives, so it's hard to to be fair and say, oh, it's a worthless thing to do. But again, it's like, when are you going to bring something new to the table? When are you going to take this in a direct... You know, it's okay if you bring these characters back. I think a lot of people felt that way about Nightmare on Elm Street. It's like, it wasn't that they brought Freddy Krueger back or that somebody else was playing him. It was that they did nothing new with it. It was the same story. They've got some of the same shots, not as well done. There's beautiful photography, by the way. I'm not talking about the cinematography. I'm talking about just the narrative storytelling. And they're not doing anything new. We have two Jungle Book movies coming out this year. At least with the Tarzan you were talking about, if that movie was coming out this year, I'd probably go see that one. <laughs> you know, Tarzan becoming a detective, I'd be there. It's just just doing nothing fresh with it, and I think that's the real problem. But then isn't that the double-edged sword of nerddom? When you're remaking something, and that's essentially what these are. Every time they make Tarzan, they always go back to the origin story, so it's essentially a remake. Same thing with, like, you know, when they made the RoboCop remake a couple of years ago and whatnot. 
they changed everything, so we bitched. But then we also would have bitched if they just remade the movie and made it the same way, but inferior. Is it kind of a no-win scenario when you go to these, these I guess, archetypal characters like that? As I say over and over again, the the way for me to successfully do a remake is to take the core of what made the original work, but do something different with it. Something like, uh, by my go-to example, Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead, the original core of it was zombies and the mall. And then with the remake, they took the zombies and the mall, but they told a completely different story. You had, you know, it was uh, current times instead of back, you know, uh, back in the, uh, well, it was filmed in the 70s and then the 80s. You know, more modern and you had uh, different characters and the story played out differently. So you had the essence of it, but it still ended up being something different. So you could watch both things back to back. The problem with a lot of these is they'll take the same thing and then just redo it completely and then wonder why people aren't rushing out to see it. It's like, well, it already was really good once and they did it amazing and you're just doing the same thing again. So it's automatically going to be inferior. It's just going to stink. Like, all right, now it's actors that I don't like that don't have the chemistry that the original was. You've got a director that's maybe not as good as the original. Uh, CGI out the, you know, out the ass ends up being just a complete disaster. So they keep doing these things and they're not understanding why, well, if we just remake it exactly the same way, it'll, it'll be good. And it's like making a copy of a copy. You know, the copy of the copy is always going to be inferior and then it's going to get more and more inferior each time down the line we can use robocop as an example let's just let's let's play a little game and let's do our own breakdown of a robocop sequel if you look at the one they made they took it from a much more military perspective and it's really too bad that wasn't the movie they made because we've already seen robocop right what if we would have had robo soldier what if the same premise had been transposed into making a soldier and having that dry wit of the first one, that, that pitch black humor and apply it to a soldier, you know, being shipped over to Afghanistan or something, you know, and these rebels are, you know, and they got the little pop guns, you know, you know, comes out. There could have been a lot of uh, edgy humor right out of today's politics, you know, right out of today's headlines, just like Robocop was. Basically, Dirty Harry on steroids, you know, that was the Robocop of that era. Today, I think we would need basically the Rambo on steroids, making fun of the geopolitical shift that we have going on. That could have been something. That could have been clever. That could have been fun. And it'll never happen. Right in there lies the problem. There's no shortage of ideas, okay? I talk to people about this. There's no shortage of ideas. Ideas are easy. The three of us could create a 100 ideas within a few days to make into movies. The hard part is writing a script, beginning, middle, end, writing interesting characters, interesting dialogue, having it you know, be important than having all these characters relating to each other in a particular way, so on and so on. That's the hard part, and that's the part they're skipping. Well, do you think that the audience notices the... I'm just going to use the term creative bankruptcy. For instance, like Dracula. Let's leave out TV series, appearances on cartoons and whatnot. There have been 247 movies based on the Bram Stoker iteration of Dracula. Do you think that the audience just goes, oh, f*** enough already. Stop with Dracula. Like, a, 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 what was it, two years ago they tried that 
Dracula Untold or something like that. That new one where it was a big action movie with tons of CGI. No one cared. Then what happens? Dario Argento's Dracula comes out. Even though it's only a small direct-to-video release that sticks closer to the origins of the character, critics loved it. Do you think that they're misjudging the audience? Or is that the audience for something like Dracula just isn't there? I'm talking traditional Dracula, not updating him for, you know, the 2000s or crap like that. Uh, I think that uh, at this point, like, we are really just getting inundated. Uh, I think the uh, the most recent Dracula was their attempt to do the uh, monster cinematic universe. They wanted to do Dracula, Frankenstein, Mummy, and I think they're doing, like, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. They had all the classic monsters, and they were going to do this, like, uh, whole cinematic universe. And I'm like, look... They already cin- did that. It was called The Monster Squad. Well, no, this Monster Squad was... I love The Monster Squad. Brilliant movie. But Monster Squad is one movie. They wanted to make it, like, this intertwining thing, like what Marvel and DC are doing. And the thing that's stupid is it's like, okay, they're trying to do something different with, you know, monsters. But it doesn't make sense within the context of monsters. It makes sense with comic books because they're all intertwining. But uh, if you have monsters, all right, well, now you have this one and he's going to be in this movie. Like, it doesn't really work the same. I think that I at least applaud them for trying to do something different, but it ended up just being another disaster. And as far as... As far as Dracula, as I said in the beginning, I really think that it's a character that it does have a lot of lore and a lot that can be done with it. But the majority of the time is that they will go so in the wrong direction with it and will make something like Dracula Untold. And it really, like, the thing with Dracula Untold could have just been a vampire Untold movie. It didn't specifically need to be Dracula, but because it was going to be part of that universe, they had to make it Dracula. It probably would have worked better if it was just another vampire as opposed to being Dracula because then it brings about it a certain amount of expectations. They, They have to try to be a little closer with the lore, but they went completely loosey-goosey with it and to the point of ridiculousness. I haven't seen um, the Frankenstein one yet, but I, I am partially curious, but I have a feeling it's probably not going to be particularly good either. The thing is, is that Dracula is more interesting the way he was written. And Cecil brought up the new Dracula, and they tried to make him sort of an anti-hero. And the minute that that came up, oddly enough, I was thinking Monster Squad. Because Duncan Rieger's Dracula in Monster Squad is actually a more compelling Dracula than we've probably seen in 20 years. Because he's vicious, uh, he's a murderer, and yet there's these weird moments of compassion like that he shows Frankenstein. He has compassion, it's just not for us. And if any iteration of Dracula was to come along and show that Dracula and tried to spin it off into a cinematic universe, I think that would have been way more compelling than what they gave us. And again, that's something I, I don't know if it's I should I'm not going to blame writers. I think it really has more to do with what producers want. We don't know what the writers are originally coming to them with a lot of times. And no, 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 make it more like this. It's really difficult to say. Uh, I loved Frankenstein Unbound a film from the 80s, Roger Corman's Frankenstein Roger Unbound. Corman, yes. That movie is so good, and hardly anyone's seen it from this generation. I'm it's not saying nobody. It's, it's, a, it's a unique take on, this, on the traditional 
Frankenstein story. Well, it's looking at the concept of Frankenstein the creator, and it's looking at what he creates. And it's got the best moment in any of these movies where John Hurt looks at Victor and says, Victor Frankenstein, meet my monster. You know, as that time swarm is behind him. And it was a great little moment. And again, that's what's missing. Well, and that's because they seem to be afraid of doing anything different. For instance, remember that that Ridley Scott, Russell Crowe, Robin Hood movie that came out a few years ago that nobody went to see? That was originally supposed to be much different. It was this award-winning script called Nottingham, which was the, the traditional Robin Hood tale told from the sheriff of Nottingham's perspective with him as the good guy stopping this burglar and robber named Robin Hood. Ridley Scott and Russell Crowe both said, I don't want to do that. I just want to make a Robin Hood movie. And look, it was boring. It was dull. Nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted this unique take. How many times do you have to do Robin Hood? Just last year, they made another TV movie of Moby Dick. This is like the 17th screen adaptation of Moby Dick. They're all exactly the same, not counting special effects. Who was asking for another Moby Dick adaptation? Who was? A Christmas Carol. Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol has been adapted over 200 times, counting TV. And just last year, they made yet another Christmas Carol. Who was asking for A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens yet again? Why do they keep doing this? Uh, it's simple. It's one of those staple stories that, uh, time and time again, uh, some people consider it timeless. So what they'll do is they'll take the exact same thing and maybe put some award-winning actors in there to try to get, you know, that amazing performance out of them. Or they'll do something where, okay, well now we'll make the ghosts look really realistic and they'll go overboard on the special effects and they'll try to make it like this extravaganza. And they figure that it is... For lack of a better term, uh, I'll say, you know, as American as apple pie kind of thing, even though it's not like, uh, you know, American at all concept that it's so ingrained in the psyche of everyone that people will go to see it regardless. People will go enjoy it regardless. People will watch it because, oh, it's they're doing a Christmas carol again and it's Christmas time. Well, I guess we should watch it, even though we already know the exact story entirely. This is a new spin on it. So I think that that's really the bottom line is they think that uh, this is something that they can keep peddling out year after year and people will see it because of the name recognition behind it. Well, didn't what what was the was Heart of the Sea, I think, was the one that just came out not that long ago was a hundred and fifty million dollar Moby Dick movie. And again, I'm like, why? Like it's the same movie again. Uh, but saying, you know, uh, I guess it's just it's um by changing the name of it, not calling it Moby Dick. Maybe they were trying to dupe people into going to see it on every studio head's desk there's got it you know there's stacks and stacks and stacks of scripts and there's probably an overwhelming amount of them that are scripts that are the exact thing that's already been done a million times they already you know they'll have a stack of uh christmas carol they'll have a stack of moby dick they'll have a stack of dracula they'll have all of these and for some reason recognition but they'll kind of thumb through it and they'll look oh this is a weird sci-fi movie i'm not going to do this oh this is this movie Ooh. 
Let's see. Is uh, is Paramount doing a, a Moby Dick movie? Oh well, we have to do our Moby Dick movie this year, and then they'll they'll go and they'll do that. So that's I think that that's a lot of also what the, a lot of this garbage comes into. We're we're missing a, a very obvious thing here, and that is it's much like the thing with posters. Why Hollywood doesn't want those beautifully designed and draw posters. I think Cecil might have done an episode on that. Cruise, uh, cruise on rules! <laughs> and the reason they don't want to do it is because now Drew and those artists, they own a piece of that art. And the same can be said with the IP of these properties. Why do they keep remaking A Christmas Carol and Moby Dick and Tarzan? Because they're open and available IP. And they don't have to share ownership. If you look back at that debacle that was the Manhunter, Hannibal Lecter, Army of Darkness battle that went on, and it's technically still going today because Evil Dead had to actually, this TV series had to ignore the Army of Darkness movie now. So the rights are so screwed up to those properties that Hollywood wants to try to avoid those entanglements as much as humanly possible. They want to own these free and clear, theirs and theirs alone. They know from, for instance, you brought up Dracula before, people can't recreate the Bela Lugosi look without paying Universal for the rights to look like Bela Lugosi's Dracula. And so that's why they create you know, they use the same stories, but they create a unique look because that way they can create a unique toy that they can sell to make that unique money. That's one of the reasons they're choosing these particular titles over and over again, because if they own them, especially in their library of films, like, oh, we could just remake this. We own it free and clear. We don't have to share it with anyone. It has nothing to do with how many times to the, they don't care because they figure they can make something off of it and they don't have to share it across the board. And I, it, it's sad to say, but it's right back to that same old chestnut. You have the same authors. William Shakespeare, just counting official where he, where it's credited as being based on a work by William Shakespeare, he has over 1,000 movies based on William Shakespeare. The guy didn't write nearly that many stories, so it's just the same William Shakespeare movies every couple of years, every couple of years, to the point where you're like, oh, God, enough. Arthur Conan Doyle has 240 credits to his books. Robert Louis Stevenson, 239. Edgar Allan Poe, 260. Alexander Dumas, 243. Charles Dickens, 300 plus. Really? Is it all just that these, I mean, not all of these people are public domain, but does the public really want this stuff? Or do the studios tell the public that they want this stuff? Uh, I I don't even know anymore because, like, does anybody really get excited when there's a new Shakespeare movie? Uh, I think that as much as I didn't care for William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, the uh, Clara Danes, Leonardo DiCaprio one, I thought that uh, it was at least a unique take on it. You know, they took the prose and the wording of the original and they did it in like a modern setting. So it was like... So did Lloyd Kaufman. Uh, well, Lloyd Kaufman, not as much so much with Tromeo and Juliet, but uh, I mean, not quite as as much as that. But I, And Tromeo and Juliet is far better. But I do really like the look, uh, Romeo and Juliet. I just couldn't get beyond how it, d it didn't work with them using the uh, old-timey dialogue. But at least, again, it was something different, something unique, instead of just doing the same thing over and over again. And we did have a really good um, 
run where that took off. So they did great expectations and they did every other thing. It was irritating. And I, I don't know. I think that for some reason, people just, they want that. It's a familiarity. And because uh, they obviously, they, they do go see it enough to where they keep making them. I don't know. I've never really been particularly into them with the exception of Tromeo and Juliet. I don't know who they're trying to appeal to. I've never liked Shakespeare, whether it was his printed work or in an adaptation. I love Orson Welles, but his his just obsession with constantly wanting to do Shakespeare movies and Shakespeare in his TV shows, I never understood why everyone's like, you're not a true actor until you've done Shakespeare. Oh, piss off. Well, as far as Shakespeare is concerned, I, I did really love the early work of Kenneth Branagh. Henry V is still one of my favorite movies, as is um, Much Ado About Nothing. Uh, so, you know, there are good things that come of it. It, it. it depends on, again, vision and time to create. You brought up about Robert Louis Stevenson. Look at something like Treasure Island. Why do they keep doing that variations of that one? It's sort of to what I said about the poster thing, only now we're dealing with something a little different, and that's turnaround. With something I'd said earlier about the scripting and how you have to create character interaction. You have to create original characters, original scenes, character interactions. That takes time to develop, and with something like, say, Treasure Island, that's a great story, and it's got all of your twists built in. They're already there. You're following this character, and it turns out he's not your lead character. He's dead with, you know, before the first act is over. You meet a boy. He befriends a pirate. There's an entire siege. All the twists are already there. So why not adapt something like Treasure Island? It's all there. It's got everything you would want and the kitchen sink. And you just adapt it and you have a, a story that's already got all these thrilling elements. I mean, how many animated ones have we seen? We've had a Muppet one. We've had live action ones. We've had an outer space one done by Margaretti. <laughs> We've, we've had tons of versions of the story, and it's because it takes less time to adapt. All the characters are there. All the twists are there. You know where the beginning, the middle, and the end is. That's true, I think, with a lot of these stories. They already know where they're going. In the 80s, there was a remake of the film DOA with Dennis Quaid, Meg Ryan, and it's actually pretty good. And it's not a, a shot for shot remake of the original black and white. It's actually got some variation and some change. You're still dealing with the same basic ending. Sometimes though, that's a, I think that's an example of going in a good direction. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Peter Hames version of Narrow Margin. I saw that way back when Gene Hackman and Archer. And then finally up, it was only like within the last three, four years, I saw the original black and white. It was terrible. <laughs> It was really bad. It turns out there was a good example of a remake. I'm not saying the Peter Hames version is fantastic. It's better than the original. Outland is High Noon, which it's not better than High Noon. It's different, and it's interesting. Hey, 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 hey. does High Noon have head explosions? No, it does not. Well, the director's cut does. Oh, oh, okay. I misunderstood. You didn't see the director's cut. But yeah, Outland does something different, and yet it still has all of the narrative hit points. They're all still there. I think that's it. It's just, it's cheating, for a lack of a better way of wording it. Well, when they take these these old characters that they've been dealing with forever, like Tarzan and Dracula and whatnot, do you think that they have to be updated? Like we talked about in the Pulps episode, can you tell a traditional Tarzan story that's still interesting? I think the 
bobbing of the new movie proves you can't. Yet, when he became a P.I. in the urban jungle, nobody came for that either. The Lone Ranger, when that came out a few years ago, was anybody asking for that? Did anybody really think today's generation, especially with it being a PG-13 movie, meant that they were going for teenagers? Did anybody really think that the Lone Ranger's really going to strike a chord with teenagers? Well, it's like Speed Racer way back when. That movie, they had been trying to make that for well over a decade. And then they finally forced it through. And yeah, we finally made the Speed Racer movie. And what happened? Nobody went to see it. So it's the same thing. It's like the Lone Ranger, that had been floating around for the longest time. And they finally got, you know, they got Johnny Depp attached, who Johnny Depp's movies almost always guaranteed hits. They, oh, this is going to be huge. Everybody's going to. And it's from the director of Pirates of the Caribbean. and Right. It had everything going for it. And then it comes out and nobody cares because there are some things that just don't work anymore. It just, you know, nobody really wanted a Lone Ranger movie and that proved it but they get it in their heads people really want it like I can understand you know people really want X movie they really want this and they think that they're they're tapping into a market and I mean there is a certain amount guesswork involved because sometimes you don't know what's really going to be a hit did you you know did did they really expect the Twilight things to become this uh you know phenomenon that it did they were hoping that it would but uh, I don't think anybody kind of expected it to be as huge as they were. And uh, with something like The Lone Ranger, I guess that they really had it in their heads that uh, this was going to be like the new big franchise. And, uh, you know, pirates worked. Why not The Lone Ranger? And it just it didn't work because it. It, on top of being not particularly all that good, it's just not really catering to today's audience. And I don't think that they should always cater to today's audience. But there is, if you're going to have a $200 million movie, you do need to cater to this audience for a certain to a certain degree because they're the ones that are going to be filing into the movies over and over again and making you back that uh, $200 million. But doesn't that require then it to cater to the audience? Doesn't that require you alter the character for instance the last lone ranger movie before the the johnny depp one isn't it funny that he's not even the lone ranger and we call it the johnny depp one but whatever <laughs> okay fine the one the, the one the one with william fickner as the villain the last one was the 1981 legend of the lone ranger and in 1988 they tr were trying 88 89 somewhere around there they were trying to make a Lone Ranger movie, probably going for an R rating. They were trying to make it for the youth of the late 80s. It had a whole bunch of uses of the word f***. He screwed hookers. He decapitated a guy. It was full of graphic violence in the script. Basically, the creators of The Lone Ranger were like, I don't know what that is, but that's not The Lone Ranger. Doesn't that require, when you make it for today's audience, that you have to wreck what worked about the character or the franchise or ideal in the first place? I think that you can make alterations, but you don't need to go that drastic. And the other thing, too, is when when you kind of – all right, well, saying fuck a bunch of times is, uh, you know, we're getting into Rob Zombie territory. Saying that is just, you know, the too edgy for me kind of stuff. Realistically – The Lone Ranger does not decapitate people with an axe. But what I'm saying is that within the context of the movie, if – 
there was a time when he did tend decapitate someone. It, it all depends on how it's handled. I don't think that, I mean, if it's gruesome and he's hacking somebody's head off, yeah, but I mean, if he throws an axe and, you know, and I don't, it, it could be done in a way that could be, uh, I would say whimsical and it would work. So it, it all depends on how it's presented. If anybody wants to know my thoughts on the Lone Ranger, they can go back to our pulp episode. I, I really think I said all I can on that one. I can't add anything new, and Cecil just said most of it again. I'm just going to say that to add to the changing it, let's address, like, Batman, all right? Batman, of course, is our updated Zorro. There's a lot of talk about Batman killing in the last movie, and people are like, oh, it's great that Batman kills, and others are like, oh, it sucks that Batman kills. And I'll address Batman killing is bad. And it's not because it's Batman killing, it's because it's mindless. There's no intelligence to it, there's nothing spectacular about it, there's nothing interesting. If you're going to have a character like Batman who doesn't kill, kill, then that should be part of the story. It should be a defining moment, it should be a moment that freaks Batman and your audience out. It should be that moment that's shocking and horrific. The bat finally can't take what the Joker is doing or some other character, and he snuffs him out. And that's a story. That's the very essence of a story. That moment of shock and surprise. And now you have to deal with the repercussions of that action. When you deal with something as mindless as Batman versus Superman, it's Batman gunning down, machine gunning, running people over. It's mindless. It's pointless. They've got We've got lots of characters that do that and have done that. Batman's more interesting because he has to think of other ways around things. We already have characters to do that stuff. If you're going to do Lone Ranger, it, had, it would have to be the same approach. You'd have to make it part of the story. I mean, the Lone Ranger did kill. Uh, it was more about the time period he was created in. Uh, he was kind of an outlaw. I think you could spin that, uh, but again, it takes work. You'd have to create a movie where it feels pulpy and you, it's in the dialogue and you can hear some intelligence. Like if you've seen Bone Tomahawk, the first 15 minutes of that movie has this great dialogue, this real pulpy, rich dialogue. You feel like you're reading one of those old pulp western books. That's exactly what a modern Lone Ranger would need. It would need that kind of talk to make you feel like you're in that time period. You can do that. You can do it. But again, they won't. They're not going to take that time. They're more concerned about action set pieces and horses running across the top of trains, which always looks stupid. They're not going to world build like that. And they're not going to put that kind of thought into characters or narrative. And I'm sorry to sound repetitive, but that's the way it is. Real quickly, look at Ben-Hur that's out right now. There's a movie that you would think screams big-budget Hollywood remake, yet there's next to no stars in it. I heard even Morgan Freeman was a last-minute addition. It's all computer-generated. That's a movie that perplexes me as to why it exists at all. It's If you're going to do a big spe spectacle, I'd kind of understand it. Yeah, they made a spectacle of themselves. It, the trailer is hysterical. It's terrible looking. I mean, the game, the Warcraft animations look better from the game. Why did they do that? But if you're going to change a character, you have to do it in a way that has logic, that is part of the story and offers drama and context and conflict and has, like I said, has a, a, 
I just thought I lost the word, but problems have to arise from that action. It can't be just boom, it's done, and everybody forgot about it. How do you think then that movie studios decide when, say, a franchise will come back? But let's talk about a slasher movie franchise like the Halloween franchise. You have the original eight movies, and even by then, after about four, no one really cared. They just were cranking these things out. Then you had the Rob Zombie reboot, which was the edgy new... If you remember what the advertising was like, this is Halloween for the new generation. We made these Halloweens for you. Nobody liked them. Nobody really went to see them. Yeah, they made they made their budgets back, but nobody really... These were not huge hits. So now they're rebooting Halloween again. And the question comes up, when is enough Michael Myers? Hasn't this franchise proved that since 1988, this really doesn't have the legs you think it does? I mean, what in a studio exec's head would go, you know what? You know what'll work right now? Another Michael Myers movie. We just got to do it right this time. And then they're inevitably inevitably going to screw that up. And then they'll a couple of years will go by and then they'll go, you know what? It's time for another Michael Myers movie. And they're going to screw that one up. When is enough enough in the case of like a Michael Myers? With with Michael Myers, it, a lot of it is simply that the people that are in charge of the money don't understand what made the the movie work in the first place. They're only seeing it as... I'd say the first four. The first four were solid flicks. I, I also, I like H2O. I think, uh, I think H2O was... Oh, Halloween water is terrible. Halloween water. <laughs> the way you said it is very funny. Yes, Halloween, I liked Halloween water. Really should have been the, the time when they just said, alright, this is the end. You know, we're, we're not, you know, cause they, they gave it a very definitive ending, but it made a ton of money. So of course they had to bring it back and then completely destroy it. Uh, with franchises like that, they see it as something that they can just keep pumping out every now and then because if they do manage to get one that works then that means that they'll have potentially uh, another franchise on their hands all right well halloween the new version and then that ends up being a big hit so they can just keep cranking out sequel after sequel every year until the diminishing returns kicks in and then they can stop making them and then sit it on ice for a while the thing is they own the rights to these properties so every now and then i have a feeling that they probably have board meetings and you have people that uh, they need to bring something to the table every time so it's they go looking through uh all right what do we own okay well we own the rights to this we own the rights to this we own the rights to this why don't we try to do halloween again now i know that you're against the halloween movie and i i understand that's fine but the thing was that wasn't rob zombie's fault rob zombie said when he came out they were remaking halloween with or without him so he decided we'll, we'll talk about rob zombie more in about a month but that's true. I still okay. think it was his fault, and Halloween 2 was absolutely his fault because he was told he could do whatever he wanted with it, and he gave us that. Right. But the thing was, again, with Halloween 2, was they they offered him that kind of... Uh, they offered him that much uh, freedom, and he did kind of go. But then we see with something like 30... Well, we'll save it for the Halloween. We'll save it for the zombie episode. But yeah. I don't really blame... Halloween was getting remade with or without zombie and it's uh at least he tried to do something different. It didn't work, but at least he tried to do something different. You've never had a hit movie in a franchise and yet you keep cranking them out to the point where you go, okay, what is it about like Fantastic Four? Okay, let's leave out the 1994 Roger Corman one because that never actually came out. So let's just talk about the 20th Century Fox ones. You have the first one that came out. 
It was not the blockbuster they hoped hoped it was, but it made a little bit of money. Then they made Rise of the Silver Penis, and that didn't do much. And then they rebooted it with Fan 4 Stick, which bombed horribly. And now they've said, you know what? No, we're going to try this again. Maybe the fourth time will be the charm. When is enough enough? I think that that is a case of it worked with the 2005 version. The new one was a mess because of the director and because of the reshoots and because of studio involvement. So I think that that legitimately, there's a reason why they're going to try again. Because now it is going to be a co-production with Marvel and Fox and they uh, are going to foster it a lot more. And the next one probably will be a whole lot better and probably will be received properly. they keep doing the same thing over and over again. The Roger Corman movie told the origin. The 2005 movie told the origin. Fan 4-stick version told the origin, although they altered it stupidly. The new one is going to be an origin movie again. Superman. The first Superman movie told the origin. His origin was told in the TV series. His origin was told in the Superboy series. His origin was told in the animated series. His origin was told again in Superman Returns. His origin was told again in Man of Steel. His origin was not told again in Superman Returns. It is like... Yes, it basically was. There's a difference between it was and it basically was. The thing is, with certain things like that, they need to bring the audience up to speed. So, okay, with Fantastic Four... They, uh, the 2005 version, they needed to show it, you know, show the origin to the audience. Okay, that makes sense. With the 2015, wow, it was 2015? Oh, so it's, I was, just call it fan, just call it fan forced. Right, so the fan, alright, no, I'm not gonna call it fan forced. With, with the one from last, oh, that's right, the 260. With the one from last year, they needed to show the origin for two reasons. Number one, because it's 10 years between the first one and, and this one, because they were doing a different origin. I could see there being a complaint if they just did the same exact origin, but this, they went a completely different angle with it. So, of course, they're going to show a different origin. So that's, I think, in that case, it's fine. Now, with the new one, I, you know, it remains to be seen. Who knows if and when it comes out, but I'm sure that they will probably do an origin, I mean, to kind of bring people up to speed. Because it's the same thing with Spider-Man. The same Raimi Spider-Man was his origin. The old TV show was his origin. The Amazing Spider-Man was his origin. The new Marvel movie that's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is his fucking origin. Who the fuck doesn't know Spider-Man's origin? You'd be Stop surprised. Stop doing the same story. You'd be su- the thing is if it's a truncated version of it or whatever, that's I think that to a certain degree that's fine. You need to bring people up to speed on that. You can't just jump them in, you know, Hey, I got bit by a radioactive spider and now I have spider powers. They, you need to have some sort of, uh, history to go along with that. And the thing was, Spider-Man was introduced, Spider-Man was introduced in Civil War. So I think that the new ver- the new movie that has Spider-Man, they're probably going to very, they are going to go over his history, but they're going to go over it very quickly. I don't see them retreading it again. Fantastic Four, I, I say Death Race. Death Race. Uh, let me explain what I mean by this. You brought up the Roger Corman one. And I'll tell you what, if you people haven't seen it, go to YouTube, gather some friends, and have a great freaking time. I don't, and this might be controversial, but people might find this hard to believe, not everything Stanley has created is great. I know, I know that's, you know, you're going to go through denial, 
There are people under chairs in the fetal position shaking thumb. Fred, yeah. you can't shock people like that. You uh, just have to remind them Stanley also created Nightcat. Yeah. Uh Fantastic Four in many respects is the Lone Ranger of the Marvel comics to me. It's just not that good of a story. And I'm sorry. And the reason Roger Corman's version is so good is because it's fun. It's fun. That's why I never liked the Fantastic Four until I saw the Roger Corman version. And I said, hey, this is perfect pulp. This is exactly what we've been talking about with all this stuff, with Tarzan and Lone Ranger. That movie represents how something can work that we're way past. It's it's a really fun movie. It's colorful. It's bright. It's corny. Now look at the brand Dr. new... Dr. Doom fan- talks with his hands. <laughs> yeah, and look at the <laughs> brand new Fantastic Four, and it's it's exactly the same problem as what happened when Paul Anderson redid Death Race, which is, by the way, not actually a bad movie. They took the Death Race 2000 concept, and they put it into a different context. The idea is this is a prequel. I think the original idea was to have Death Race 2000 be one of the sequels. I believe that was the original concept. The problem is, is it's so dark. It's so dreary. It's so depressing. Now go watch Death Race 2000. It's bright. It's colorful. It's fun. It's corny. Anybody starting to notice a trend here? We, we've, we've taken the fun out of film. We've removed it. Film is not reality. Gritty and realistic is good in certain contexts, doses, with certain stories. Yeah, Batman can be dark and gritty. Superman could be too, but you probably should, you know, have that fun guy first that we like. Uh, okay, you shouldn't have Superman be the emo whiny bitch that he is in the in the Zack Snyder movie. Right, and there's... Not, uh, I'm so against both of you on this. Well, look, I'm sorry. That, that's fine, and I know people say like it, but what you're missing my point is that the problem with Superman isn't that he's dark, gritty, and emo, and singing Natalie and Bruglia songs off screen. <laughs> the problem is all the movies are like that. That's the problem. That's the real issue. And one of the reasons people are enjoying Marvel so much is because they're at least more bright and more colorful. They're starting to tiptoe down that bad road, and I pray they don't go that way. You know, like with a story like Jessica Jones on Netflix, that's appropriately dark. It's a dark story, and it works beautifully. Fantastic Four should be fun. It should be bright. It should be colorful. It should be weird, and they should be fighting weird creatures, and Doctor Doom should be running an island filled with turret tanks and weirdly dressed soldiers. Well, Doctor Doom as Doctor Moreau. This needs to happen. And I'm going to give you a weird prediction right now. I'm, I'm, I could be so wrong, but this Doctor Strange movie coming out, I predict will not be successful. I think it's going to be one of their least successful movies in the entire franchise. I think so. I can agree with you on that because there's not... Well, on top of the fact that Doctor Strange doesn't have the draw that like an Iron Man or um, Superman or whatever has, Doctor Strange is, I don't want to say second tier, but second tier superhero. Like, I mean, comic book geeks and whatnot will know dr strange the average audience member is going that is going to go see it is simply going to go see it because it's a marvel movie but they've never heard of him before and it's not going to have the draw dr strange's problem is is that he's what i call a bridge character it's like once you've done his origin which is 
sort of interesting. If you look at even the comics, he's so powerful. All he ever really acts is like as a conduit for characters. Hey, there's something magic going on here. Hey, who knows magic? Oh, Strange knows magic. Hey, Strange, can you open this door to this nether realm for us? Okay. And that's, you know, that's the less you see of Strange for eight issues. They already made a Doctor Strange movie that was perfect. It was called Doctor uh, Mordred. No, no, we were, I'm, we oh, were Dr. tripping over, we were tripping over the same thing. Oh, is that where you were that's going where to? I was going to. I was like, I they already made, they had series. the first, Doctor Mordred with Jeffrey Combs. You're never gonna top Jeffrey that. Jeffrey Combs is Doctor Stephen Strange. You're never gonna <laughs> right. top that. Yeah, I thought you were about to say that awful TV movie, and I was like, oh, no, please don't. But okay, yes, <laughs> no, I'll go the, with the, Dr. The, Mordred. I'll go with Dr. Mordred. Yeah. yeah, Dr. Mordred is Dr. Strange, and Charles Band has waffled on this. He initially said that it was supposed to be a Dr. Strange movie, but then they lost the rights, so they went and made it anyway. And then a few years ago, he gave an interview saying it was never meant to be a Dr. Strange movie. There's so much Dr. Strange in there, I'm going with the first story, because I'm pretty sure that was the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no doubt it's Doctor Strange. <laughs> there's absolutely no doubt. Like, going back to these characters again and again and again and again. Like, there was a Peter Pan movie that came out. It was either late last year or early this year. Over $100 million budget. Not only did nobody go to see it, no one cared. Everyone went, there's a new Peter Pan movie? So? I guess I have to ask this again. Are they so bereft in the studio system of original ideas? Or is it all of this, is it just... This character's public domain. Let's just make it, and maybe it'll hit. I mean, the last Peter Pan movie that I can think that even remotely popular with people was Hook, and that was, what, early 90s? Yeah, I didn't even like Hook either. I hate Hook. The only thing I like about it is it's one of the few times I found Julia Roberts attractive, and yeah, I know that's weird. (laughs) No, actually, she is kind of cute with that weird haircut, but the the movie's noisy and obnoxious. It's But can I just say one thing? The best Peter Pan adaption ever, The Lost Boys. I want to say it's easy money, but time and time again, it's proven that it's not. They have this concept in their mind that if they, you know, if it was a hit once, it'll be a hit again. And over and over again, it's proven that's not the case. People don't want to see the same thing all the time. I mean, once in a while is okay. If you have a movie that was, you know, from 10 years ago or whatever, and they want to try to do an update or something, okay, uh, you know, maybe the last time it didn't work or something, I'm, I'm fine. I think 10 years, I think, is a good gap between, uh, you know, trying to redo it. I, I still think it might be a little too soon, but all right, fine, 10 years. But we're getting movies where it's like, the movie comes out, it flops, and then six months later, they're like, well, we're going to reboot it. And and then, you know, a year later, they'll have another version out. It's ridiculous. It's getting to the point where, like, they're complaining about piracy uh, is why people aren't going to see, you know, movies anymore. No, it's because you're giving us the same thing over and over again, and people are tired of it. Well, I also think that, that, they, that they try and reboot these things instead of making them canonical. Like, all of these Tarzan movies, stop rebooting it. Make a sequel to that one like one of the things i know this is tv and not movies but one of the reasons i thought the kung fu franchise worked was when they made kung fu the movie in 1986 it wasn't a retcon it was a continuation of the 70s show then they made the kung fu the next generation pilot which was a continuation of the movie then they made kung fu the legend continues and they got david carradine back and it was a continuation And they kept all of the Kung Fu TV shows in continuity with one another. Instead of going, no, 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 the 1993 movie is a reboot of the original. It was like, no, it's it's a sequel. 
And I think that's why RoboCop didn't work in 2014. If they had made RoboCop 4 and made it in continuity with the other three, I think it could have worked a lot better than saying, nope, it's a reboot. It still would have sucked. It, was still, it wouldn't have been the same movie. It, it was wouldn't still have been the same movie. movie if it were a sequel, though. Uh, it, it, but even all right. So let's say they changed a couple things. It still would have been bad. Robo, the remake of RoboCop was awful. Yeah, it is creative bankruptcy. I mean, and you see it in other variations too. Uh, I, again, I know I'll probably get a little hate for this, but if you look at Paranorman, which is a is a fun animated film, it's actually the exact same story as Chicken Little, which nobody liked. But I mean, it's literally the same exact story, almost beat for beat. And if you look at, in the Marvel Universe, Ant-Man was the same exact story as Iron Man. This is also a form of the reboot remake that we're seeing. We're seeing the same stories with the same beats, but they, you know, they got a shiny new coat of paint. So even when they're not, say, the direct remake of something that's been done a thousand times, there's still a direct remake. I mean, Friday the 13th was considered a very dumb series back in 1980s. When you look at it now, it's almost quaint at how creative they were with that. We're still using that freaking mold for slasher films in 2016. Now, I didn't say horror films because we have, you know, some surprises coming out. My point is, is that we're seeing the same thing over and over, literally, be it the reboot, be it the remake, be it the sequel. And Cecil's already said that, that it's okay if you do this within a certain period of time, okay, every 10 years or so, or for some things, maybe a little longer, but still, it's okay. The problem isn't that these exist, it's that they, that's all that exists, and that's the problem that's going on. And see, I think it's just straight up creative bankruptcy. They're like, well, we can't think of anything this year. Um, uh, we still have the rights to Poltergeist, right? Let's make a crappy Poltergeist remake that no one asked for and put it, put a bunch of boo scares in it and we'll end with Bagool! Well, that is the <laughs> very nature of bankrupt, what you're talking about. The bankruptcy is that they refuse to use something with different beats. With If you see, oh, I hate, I, I'm bringing up the same movies over and over. I'm so sorry, gang. But if you haven't seen Blue Ruin, see Blue Ruin, dang it. This is a movie I had no idea where it was going. And it was freaking so refreshing to not know where a movie was going. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. When I talk about the beats, you know where the, the character will fall. You know, the fatal flaws, they call it in script writing. You know when they'll have their moment of redemption, and you know when the phoenix will rise from the flames at the end. We've done Joseph Campbell to death. Let the man, you know, rest in his grave, and let's do something new. Well, but then you also have unoriginal filmmakers now, like James Cameron, who follow a script writing 101 for every movie. You'll you'll notice every ten minutes he has an action scene. Every you know eight minutes he has an emotional scene. He James Cameron writes with screenwriting one oh one. There's you know exactly. Well, it's been it's about another two minutes till an action scene. Two minutes later, hey look, something's blowing up because screenwriting one oh one says there should be an action scene every ten minutes in an action movie. Go look at Terminator, Terminator two, The Abyss, and all that. They they were screenwriting one oh one. They were just better at it. Cecil, where can people find you being trotted out again and again, even though no one asked for it? You can find me being repetitious over at escapistmagazine.com, goodbadflicks.com, YouTube, and uh, Facebook and Twitter. Where can we find Fred Fritz being rebooted yet again? Well, I can be seen returning cans a lot at Walmart, uh, the welfare office. Oh, still, Movie Apocalypse Facebook is still the best place until this film is off the ground. I see no point in 
you know, pushing forward with the new site, but it's saintstoryteller.com. There's nothing there. Movie Apocalypse on Facebook is still, I post there a little bit. I'm trying to post a little more regularly. And see, I say fair enough all the time. I'm caught in a repetitive loop as well. So on that note, go to 1201beyond.com and you can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. I'm going to repeat this from every week. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.